Frank, why did you stream for six hours today? Are you a madman? What is good? Did you go on an epic uh, sort of uh, all-day adventure, twitch.tv slash Frank Krueger? What's going on? Ooh, it, it was a binge for sure. Um, I don't know, man. There's a virus. Time doesn't exist. Like, why not do a six-hour Twitter, Twitch, Twitch? I don't know. What are these things called, James? Uh, why not? Yeah, that's my answer. There you go. Perfect. Well, I, I missed out on it. I was very sad because I was like, oh, I messaged you earlier today and I was like, hey, you know, are you cool recording a little bit later today? Little did I know you didn't respond because you were so in to the learning and the coding with the people. And I appreciate that. I've never, I've gone, I did my longest stream was like eight hours and it's a, it's a, it's, that's an adventure because you gotta, you gotta eat at some point in that eight hours. You gotta use the bathroom <laughs> sometimes in that eight hours. So um, I hope that you had it all planned out efficiently. I had none of it planned out. None of it at all. Um, the truth is I've been on it just a little like already. I'd already wasted my Saturday, like on this programming project and it was just eating away at my head. You know how it gets, right? Like you just want to work on something. And Oddly enough, I had no obligations this weekend, <laughs> and I was, I never know what to Twitch stream either. We, we can always talk about that stuff, but it was really just, um, I was already obsessing over something, so I just continued my obsession onto a Twitch screen, which is kind of embarrassing, honestly, because it shows, like, how obsessive programming is. Like, I could just sit there for 20 hours if, like, I really want to solve a problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. When you get into it, you can just go to town, you know what I mean? Non-stops. And, and I was actually intrigued by what you did today. I think it'll lead to our topic of the day because you were, of course, what else did we talk about in this podcast besides machine learning and AI? But you were doing some machine learning. You're implementing something called StyleGAN, <laughs> which I, I did go to your GAN talk in in Seattle before. That's right. Um, in yeah, this, you said you're, you're using TensorFlow and Python, but I know for the GAN stuff, I don't know if that's what you were using or even what you did today at the end of the day. But yeah, I did go to your GAN talk. If people didn't see Frank talk and do the GAN talk, maybe we'll do it <laughs> for the seattlemobile.net user group, even though it has nothing to do with mobile, but kind of does. No, oh, I, I think it all have to do something with mobile. And I think that's kind of where my obsession was here. That Yeah, I did that talk forever ago. And I was just, I, this obsession began with a thought and it was, I've been learning so much about neural networks and everything that I'm a little upset that I don't have any apps out there that kind of show off what I've learned so far. Mm. I've done a little bit like uh, continuous has uh, some predictive keyboard stuff while you're coding. Mm -hmm, and I'm pretty mm -hmm. proud of that. We've, I think we must've talked about it on the show. Um, but it's still not like a big demonstration, you know, I, I want to do like even kind of crazier things because state of the art keeps moving on and on. And so I guess that's what I'm getting down to is I, I still want to make mobile, I, mobile apps, you know, I just want to put some neural networks on, on a phone and it's still not easy, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the funny part about it, I was talking to you just before we recorded that I got this DJI Osmo three get smartphone gimbal for all intents and purposes. And one of the cool modes in it is that you can just press a, a physical button and it will attempt to uh, use AI to detect a person or an object. It'll, you know, based on the outline and draw a box around it, which is a very uh, rudimentary form. If I say rudimentary in quotes, cause it's super complex, <laughs> but you know, a basic building block of, of sort of object detection. 
that even you talked about in the GAN talk and different different detection motions and things like that. Is that the type of things that you're looking to put in to a mobile application? Because, or is it something completely different? Because, you know, when I look at continuous, I almost think of it like IntelliCode that you wrote. You, you piped in a bunch of things and it pipes out a bunch of other things where sort of the live video image processing is like on a different level. Like, what are you going <laughs> for? Yeah, that's actually where I want to be is the live video image processing world. Uh, the fact is, I'm just a tiny bit ahead of the curve and the hardware is not quite there. Um, the neural networks aren't quite doing what I want them to do and all that kind of stuff. Um I don't know, man, like rudimentary object detection. That's kind of fun because that stuff is baked into the OS at this point. It's funny how quickly things become commoditized. It's um, built into Xcode. There's a tool. I'm totally blanking on its name, but like something like create ML and you go to file new and there's a bunch of different kind of neural networks that you can train. Um, what was Microsoft's that we talked about and I did hot dog or not on it? Uh, cognitive services, uh, Azure cognitive services, custom vision, part of cognitive services. Ah, Yes. Yes, That's what it is. That's you got it. Thanks. Um, yeah. So like that stuff has been progressing and it's pretty much commoditized. So writing an app that uses that, that's kind of interesting to me, but at the same time, I want to do things that aren't commoditized. And that means running, big, nasty networks (laughs) that really weren't designed to run on mobile devices. And I just started making a spreadsheet this weekend. And I was like, look, I'm look, Frank, (laughs) this is my pep talk. I gave myself, you're a smart guy sometimes when you're not being lazy. Um, Maybe you should try to get one of these advanced networks working on the phone. How hard could it be? And here I am still kind of in the middle of it, James, of how hard can it be? <laughs> you, you know what neural network I want to build? Are you ready for this? Give it. I love these kinds of, it, it's like, it's like when you, people gave app pitches back in the day. I love neural network pitches. So I want to create a predictive model that feeds in your exercise data, your cycling data. And I want it to predict when um, to not only pause recording, but also to win resume, because often if it's just based on uh, motion of distance, that's not good enough. I feel as though there's there's a lot of I'm, I'm talking about Apple Watch here because Apple Watch mm-hmm. you have to manually pause. Like I'm I'm pulling up to a to get a coffee at a window, but I'm there for five minutes. It doesn't stop recording. It just keeps going my activity. <laughs> Why didn't you stop? I didn't even move. Like at least pause. Right, Strava does that. But imagine you have all these sensors and you pipe all of this data. So the motion of how you um, normally ride a bike, the motions you make, your 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 you know how your your still motions are, um, and, and you could take a lot of different things. Your heart your heart rate, right? There's so much data being piped in here, and then actively predict when uh, you're going to stop or when you're going to start. I don't even know if that's humanly possible, but it sounds like something I want. Well, you know, that's a really funny one because it comes along with that commoditization I'm talking about, that that's basically at the OS level in the same way we can't write apps that, you know, take over basic functionality of the phone. True. Um, A lot of that activity stuff, I think, is 
maybe off limits of apps, but don't quote me on that. I really don't quite remember. But that said, um, there was a definite theme at this year's Dub Dub DC that they have activity recognition uh, built in a little bit better into watchOS. So you can record crazy arm and body movements with your watches and bloop dee bloop dee doo blue. I think you use like the create ML app and turn that into triggers. So uh-huh. whenever it detects that, you know, gives your app a little bit of a trigger. So that kind of stuff is actually being built in now. That's really cool actually. Yeah. I would like to see some of that stuff come to light because I I've just been doing a lot more with my Apple Watch recently uh, because you know it's an Apple Watch. And, um, you know, I just sort of felt like it could do better. So maybe I <laughs> watch OS wow, seven, I think it's on. No, maybe that'll be, don't better. ask <laughs> 14. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny because, um, uh, that kind of activity movement recognition kind of thing was going to be one of my first neural network kind of apps. And I wrote it really shortly after the watch first came out and, for some reason, I just had doubts that it like wasn't a good enough app, even though I had it recognizing the most hilarious things. Like I was teaching it Kung Fu moves <laughs> and it could recognize those kinds of things. I never released the app and I kind of kicked myself all the time for it because it. I assumed that all that stuff was around the corner, but it turned out it took another four years before Apple baked it into the OS. And now that stuff is trivial to do. It's just funny. It stinks also <laughs> being a little bit ahead. <laughs> so, so what what all were you doing? And I see that you have written down here core ML tools. Like we're talking about machine learning. I remember using core ML tools a long time ago just to bring in a core ML model, but I assume a lot has oh, changed. Yeah. yeah, you were doing um um a happy tweet or sad tweet. Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sentiment analysis, <laughs> I believe that that is called. Oh, right, right. Happy, sad is a little easier to remember. Um, so I actually put this topic down because I wanted to give shout outs to Apple for releasing a really good library at version four. <laughs> <laughs> it took them to version four to kind of get it right. But um, I wanted to do an entire show, James, on me singing Apple's praises for how good this library is and how I'm impressed I am with it. And we can run down what I was trying to do with it, um, problems I've had in the past, why I'm kind of impressed with this version four. I don't know. Whatever you want to talk about, dude. <laughs> we can do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's been a while since I used Quarmel, and in general, I always thought that it was a little tedious as far as bringing the model, creating bindings around it, creating the inputs and the outputs and knowing things. I just feel like there was a lot of, it was very error prone. That's what I always felt with, with Quarmel. Like I just, I, I felt like I had to know too much to be successful. Yes. And that's still the case. <laughs> for sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yep. Moving on. <laughs> no, um, it's not Apple's fault. Uh, neural networks are terrible. But before I get ahead there, maybe I should give a brief overview in case no one knows what the heck I'm talking about. So Core ML Tools is a Python script library thing mm-hmm. that you use to convert neural networks trained in some library to become a core ML neural network that can be run on phones and Macintosh computers 
and watches and things like that. Um, it's it's kind of an important process because it's the preferred, definitely the preferred way to run neural networks on the devices. Plus, if you do it this way, um, you can take advantage of the hardware of the devices. Ah, yes. You want to make them fast, I believe, not slow. Yeah. Well, I mean, these neural networks are ridiculous in size. Like the the math that they're doing is just a ton of math. So you definitely want to run them on hardware if you can. Enter Core ML. <laughs> now this, okay. So here, let me set the stage here for the Core ML tools. There's also other tools, and it seems like everyone's starting to play really nice with each other, right? Because you have uh, Onyx, for example, which is from Windows, I believe, uh, and then CoreML for CoreML. The CoreML tools enable you to take, let's say, something such as Onyx or CAF, CAFE, PyTorch, TensorFlow, Keras, LibSVM, uh, and then turn them into a core ML model. Is that, is that a correct analysis of that, I did, that I said there? Yeah, yeah, nailed it. Yeah. Um, and th- that goes along with what I was saying about neural networks are terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. All of these neural network engines, that's what you were mentioning there, TensorFlow, um, Cafe, Keras, Torch, whatever. All of those are different neural network engines, and they, of course, have different file formats for all of their datas, you know. They were not meant to interoperate with each other. You are meant to write some codes in one and execute your codes using that one. You know, you're not supposed to move this thing around. So this task of coming up with standard formats is kind of crazy because all these libraries are technically different and work very differently. So it's a little bit of a miracle that we've actually narrowed it down to a few, few couple standard formats. And I'd say the biggest one is what you mentioned, Onyx, O-N-N-X. That's just kind of become a standard, if nothing else, you know, people just treat it as here's a library. But the truth is a lot of, a lot of people don't bother um, uh, releasing neural networks, even in these forms. Hmm. It's terrible. You know, most of them are just giant Python scripts on GitHub. And they're like, good luck. Here's a readme. Have fun. Neural networks. Star hashtag. <laughs> That's right. I was, you know, I was thinking when I said Onyx on Windows, I think it's because there's a WinML, which is like basically Core ML, but like Windows ML. And then they also can go to Onyx. And then like Onyx can go to Core ML. So you could, in theory, go to like, I'm going to start in core ML, go to Onyx, go to Onyx to win them out, you know, and then you could go back around, you could go, you know, just now it's in PyTorch and then (laughs) over and over and over. Now, (laughs) the reason that this all exists, right, is because um, every different company that creates this is fine tuning their model for a specific piece of hardware or GPU, CPU, different use cases. And in the terms of uh, of core ML, right? They are optimizing a machine learning model to work seamlessly across all of Apple devices. Now, Apple, of course, could have said, Hey, we're going to take Onyx or we're going to take PyTorch and make that run great, uh, and super native on all the platforms. Uh, but then they don't own it. So really it becomes down to, Hey, we want to own it so we can rev on it and make it better in the future, which, you know, has, the side effect of this, which is now they've created a tool to make it so you can take other things, put it into here, 
um, which isn't a bad idea. I don't think either, by the way, I think that's a legitimate way of, of doing it because it enables them to onboard as many of those versions of Onyx or PyTorch or TensorFlow and, but still own the ecosystem. Yeah, that was well said. Um, especially the thing about the hardware. It's funny how much hardware dictates the design of all these things. We try to be computer scientists and abstracted from all that, but it really comes down to if you want to run TensorFlow, you need NVIDIA hardware. Hmm. Uh, if you want to run WinML, I think the whole nice thing about WinML and Onyx that Microsoft provided was that hardware abstraction. It runs on all hardware. Yeah. And Core ML, although it's an Apple product and it runs on very specific hardware, you could kind of say is that too, because the watch is very different from a Mac and it's able to run on both of those. So it, it's funny um, how, yeah, we're, we're still stuck in the early days, you can tell, because the, the hardware is dictating so many things and we have all of these standards. Yeah. So, yeah. So you can imagine that the conversion process between all these, you were making the joke about doing this cycle between them. No, that would never work, James, because like just going from one library to another, it's a small miracle if you can <laughs> get it to work, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, I have to imagine that everything is so version numbers this and what they test it against and what they move against. It's, it's always a moving target uh, in, in general. But I have to say at the same time, even if it is a moving target, I'll add one more little fuel to the fire as to why Apple or anybody else would create their own. Because Apple now, what do they do? They don't only optimize it for their CPU or GPU, but they literally have like a neural chip, right? They can, they can create silicon that can be optimized for, and it all can work cohesively together. And that's like an extra added bonus, even if it adds this extra complexity to the, to the whole thing. Yeah. And they've been doing a great job of integrating it into other things. <clears throat> Whereas Microsoft has, when ML, you don't see it integrated into stuff. And what do I mean by that? Uh, AR kit. So you can insert neural networks into parts of AR kit and it can do 3D object recognition. It can do video recognition, things like that. In fact, uh, Apple uh, will give you this neural network called YOLO. You only look once and it can detect multiple objects in a scene. I know, isn't that the cutest name? Mm -hmm. But you can just tell that, you know, these are for the AR goggles that we'll maybe never get, but <laughs> it's it's still neat to see it all applied to neural networks. Okay, so one more time. The big problem here is that neural networks are terrible. <laughs> They're written in a variety of engines using a variety of programming techniques. And being able to convert them is not like converting a GIF or a JPEG or something like that. It's more like converting a piece of software. In fact, it pretty much is converting a piece of software, like a binary. Like, can you give me a Windows binary and can I run this on Linux? And you're just like, ooh, uh, technically, maybe. <laughs> Apple is somehow pulling that off with their <laughs> uh, DDK that we have. Uh, so what I want to say about Core ML4 is I think that they've actually come a long way in solving that problem. Whereas before it felt like they covered, you know, the top 80% of the most used functions out there. Now it feels like they had an army implement all the functions and at the same time 
completely change how their library works from being a simple kind of for a loop, converting one thing at a time to a complete programming language parser and processor. Where to even begin with this thing? I'm just so blown away by it. Well, I'm going to give you a second to think about that as we thank our amazing sponsor this week, Sync Fusion. That's right, Sync Fusion. No matter what you're building, Sync Fusion has something that will help make it absolutely spectacular. Are you need charts, graphs, data grids, flyouts, list view optimization, collection views, anything? You name it. Basically, they have it for your application. Whether you're building a mobile application, a web application, whether you're doing it with Xamarin, whether you're doing it with Flutter, React Native, ASP.NET Core, Blazor, you name it, they have hundreds of controls for your application. I love Syncfusion. I use it in my most recent application, Island Tracker for Animal Crossing. It enabled me to get really complex input controls, data grids, and graphics on it. Um, and charts and graphs. It's really, really cool. Check out Syncfusion by going to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn all about the amazing controls that they have for your application. That's syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. And thanks to Syncfusion for sponsoring this week's pod. Thank you, Syncfusion. I'm going to need a neural network viewer from them someday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Cross platform. <laughs> uh, was that enough time? Is that enough time? You got something? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I, I got something. I got something. What do you do when you uh, run into a, a hard problem in computer science, James? You invent a programming language. Oh, yes. Obviously. <laughs> I thought I was like, I was like, you, you Google it. I yeah, I, I shouldn't let you respond. I actually was curious in what you were going to say to that. <laughs> well, they invented a programming language called. Um, well, it's called MIL, M-I-L. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it machine intermediate language, but that doesn't make sense either. So it probably doesn't stand for that. MIL. They invented MIL. You know how we have IL in .NET? You know what they got? They got MIL. Machine learning IL? Yeah, that'd be MLIL. MLIL? MLIL? Metal? No, it's MIL. Metal intermediate? It's not quite... We should just keep guessing at it instead of oh. reading the docs. Nope, not going to read the docs. Anyway, <laughs> so they have this uh, problem of all these different libraries are out there and they need to be able to convert to these core ML model formats. Yep. And what they decided to do was focus, was break the problem down instead of going from Torch to core ML from TensorFlow to Core ML, from Cafe to Core ML, what they do instead is go from those to MIL and then from MIL to Core ML. Yes, the model intermediate language. I see this. I model, love this. Model. 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 <laughs> right. So it's basically a programming language because neural networks in a lot of ways are a programming language. We have functions, inputs, outputs, things like that. You're combining them all. The only thing it doesn't really do is like step-by-step -step stuff. But if you can if you can express your entire program without any loops or anything, then you're fine. Or without you know, fixed size loops. <laughs> so it's um, a funny intermediate language. But the neat thing about it is instead of just hoping that Apple's conversion is perfect, they give you this intermediate representation that you can play with. Oh. So say they, uh, they might mess up the conversion a tiny bit. You know, it happens. You uh, have a programming interface to the abstract syntax tree of this programming language, and you can modify nodes in it, and you can fix it up. 
So just number one, hackability. That is really wonderful. Yeah, that's really neat. I'm looking at the documentation and it looks, what, what is it its own programming language? Like you said, I mean, you said that and I'm looking at it. I don't, I mean, there's like things being set to, to other things. (laughs) I'm being generous. It's the, it's a programming language without a textual representation. So, you know, you could think of a programming language as uh, the code that we type in and then a parser parses it. And then it, you know, it has an abstract syntax tree of your code. So they don't do the parsing part. They just have an abstract syntax tree, but they do have the compiler part. So from the abstract syntax tree, they generate the core ML file. So this intermediate language is not the core ML file itself. It's a little tiny programming language that you can code to without code. (laughs) You have to edit the syntax tree itself. It'd be like using Roslyn without being able to use C-sharp. I see. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's definitely a pro feature. You have to know what you're doing. But it's a real um, concession to the real world. They're recognizing that, remember, neural networks are terrible, and they're almost impossible to convert. So given that they're almost impossible to convert, they give programmers this ability to, uh, you know, in the in-between step, uh, fix things up, patch things up. So that's good. But there is another neat feature of it that you really appreciate, and this is the best part. People, if you consider neural networks as a programming language, people are inventing new pro, uh, primitives for it all the time, functions in it all of the time. Almost, you know, there actually should be a report that's like 500 new functions every year, something like that. There's no way Apple could ever keep up with those. Uh, just the fact that they could do 80% of them is an engineering achievement. Mm-hmm. But what do they do when the next hotshot kid publishes a paper next month? It's like, ugh, well, now I can't use that hotshot kid's library because it's not supported. What you can do now with that mill stuff is implement all those neat new little functions. So when a new paper comes out and they do something fancy, it's no longer, oh, darn, I can't do that on iOS. Now it's, oh, I just have to write this tiny little mill function that does what's in the paper. Oh, how wonderful is that, James? Yeah, so you're you're implementing an interface uh, whenever, forever. If you, if you consider that each of the different machine learning engines that are out there have methods or functions or things that they're calling, you, you have to do the conversion. So they, they, they act as an interface that you implement, which is, which is actually pretty cool. So as these APIs evolve, when there's new ones or new parameters or new, whatever, even if, you know, PyTorch, whatever version next, V next, mm-hmm. you just simply implement that interface and boom, you're off to the races. So you don't have to worry about the whole thing. Right. And this just enables whole new scenarios. Like um, what you would have to do alternatively in the past is go back and modify the actual neural network that you're trying to convert. And that's impossible, (laughs) basically. Like these are finicky beasts. It's a miracle you got it training at all. Uh, You can't 
it would be like going back and refactoring your code, but making changes that are, you know, so much harder <laughs> than just a refactor because you don't own the code. You probably don't understand how the neural network works. If you're me, <laughs> you know, you only have a vague understanding of how all this stuff works. Mm-hmm. So instead of me having to tinker around with the crazy neural network, I can tinker around with this little much friendlier intermediate representation and get that model output. That's really neat. Is there any other other ways? Like how does Onyx or the other ones do it? Is there some similarity to how Apple modeled this or is, are they unique in their own as far as you know? As far as I know, um, the like Onyx converters knows what it knows and you can, you know, submit patches to it. You could implement in the Onyx converter uh, things to convert the uh, whatever is missing, you know. So I would have to download the Onyx converter, modify it, and then use that modified version. It sounds terrible, and it kind of is, but, you know, it, it is just a library. It's not too hard to build and things like that. But you can see where, again, you're modifying someone else's code. <laughs> now, in in the Core ML way, you're not modifying anyone else's code. You're really just modifying your model, so you don't have to worry about it. That said, I hope that this becomes a trend, and maybe maybe my information is out of date. Maybe Onyx has like this super fancy mode that can also do that. But as far as I understand it, this is some pretty sophisticated uh, conversion software here. I'm just so impressed. <laughs> now, how are you modifying these scripts or implementing them? Are you inside of Xcode? Are you inside of VS Code? Is it just a text editor? Like, is there, you said you said there are Python scripts. So, so are they just scripts that you then execute Python commands on to make sure your stuff is legit? Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of crazy. Um, so I personally use VS Code. Uh, for most of this stuff, there are ridiculous Python tools in VS Code. Like the state of the art has gotten really advanced. I'm color me impressed. I've been using Python for years and it's never been this good. So th- I, that's quite a happy place for me. There are some funny things um, with Core ML. Actually, let me let me give it one more praise feature, and then I'll talk about how that kind of failed me. <laughs> um, so this conversion process, it's fraught. Things can go wrong, and you kind of never know how things have gone wrong until you've gotten the model onto your phone, receiving real-world data, and then it's actually trying to display results. Like, And then you realize, oh, the conversion went bad. Something happened in the conversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a really neat feature of the Core ML tools, just this conversion software, is that it can now execute your model. <laughs> Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, which seems so obvious. <laughs> and I'm just like, why did it do that before? <laughs> but like, yeah, so now you can imagine just execute some test data in your model, do the conversion, run that same test data through the converted one, and they better be identical. <laughs> That's how the world works. So, um, and if it's not, then you know things have gone bad. Hmm. And that actually... um that happened to me. So I was trying to convert this neural network. This was the day before. I guess some people call that yesterday. And I, I trained it. It seemed to be working. I, I put it onto my phone, and it was supposed to be generating pictures. And everything I generated was blue. Not even like 100% blue, just blue tinted. Like, you know, like wrong but right. Like, 
it was there but blue tinted how weird sort of like someone was taking that that rgb and the b of it and just sort of turning it up a little bit yeah i just kept assuming it was my math like Mm. i i kept just literally multiplying the b number until like i could like filter out some of the blue but then the greens and the reds were too strong so (laughs) so i'm just like what in the world is going on i've never seen this like you know when you do image stuff it usually works or it doesn't or it's sideways but you know (laughs) true um but i was actually able to use um well i I was able to use the coromel validator or model runner thing to see oh yes indeed it is generating bluish kind of images but then i was able to go a step backwards and see my network my network was not generating bluish images so there was a funny step in between and i was able to narrow it down and find oh there's this annoying mistake here that Unfortunately, I can't work around. I can't use this model, but it's preventing me from the thing executing. So that was that was just a really good experience I had with it. Nice. I like that. I mean, so far, it sounds like positive coming off of it. V4 feeling good. Frank's feeling good, basically. No, my success rate so far has been one out of five. Oh, perfect. Well, it's pretty good. 20%. Wait, that's, yeah, it's 20. It no, wait. is. Yeah, Thank good. you for seeing it that way because that's yeah. how I see it, James. Because you know what my old uh, record was? Zero. Out of five. <laughs> 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 so this is all coming from me converting one model and having it execute correctly once. I'm just like so happy right now <laughs> for all of it. All of it. <laughs> now, is the reason in which you are, you know, converting models is because this, you, you need to use the specific thing or you enjoy coding in other engines compared to just building something for core ML specifically, or can you not build stuff for core ML specifically? You cannot build anything for core ML uh, period full stop. Now there is that create ML tool that Apple has, but that's using, um, uh, the metal performance shaders yeah. neural network library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can write code using that, but that puppy is a bit of a beast. And ironically enough, it's not compatible with core ML. <laughs> oh, weird. So you can create models in it and you can execute models in it, but you can't generate a core ML file or anything like that. So there's pros and cons. Uh, the pro is if you use, and they're they're more low level, you can imagine. So if you use the low level stuff, it's still using hardware, but it's just so low level. You know, it's like assembly language instead of a programming language. It's hard. And I've I've tried to work on libraries um, specifically to answer what you just said. Like I want to train on Apple and execute on Apple. And I've actually started working on stuff like that for Xamarin, and it actually kind of works. Problem is, it only kind of works, and it's um, it's not as powerful as what you're able to achieve with Core ML, unfortunately. Got it. Yeah, that that makes um, some logical sense there, I guess. And I think the other problem that you may have is is that you know there's all the other you know, machine learning engines that came out before Core ML, right? We're talking about PyTorch and we're talking about um, TensorFlow, right? TensorFlow has probably been around for a long time. And those are going to have the biggest 
knowledge base, the biggest documentation, the biggest amount of models. I'm not saying that that TensorFlow does have the biggest. I'm saying it'll be bigger than what maybe CoreML has. And additionally, if you do something in TensorFlow or Onyx, you're going to have an easier time going to other platforms, perhaps, than... No. No? (laughs) No. You know, like I was saying, that neural network wasn't working for me. It was actually a bug in uh, TensorFlow. No. So, you know... (laughs) These things don't work at all either. <laughs> this this is all terrible. It's a whole bunch of terrible software. So <laughs> how are we supposed to be getting self-driving cars and all this stuff? If nothing works, Frank, should I be holding off? No, it, it, it works. It just takes actual dedication. It's just not turnkey, as we used to say. You know, you can't, unless you have a, a network that's already kind of pre-trained and people tell you how it works, that's pretty turnkey. But if you're making your own, none of it is that simple. Something that we haven't, well, I've kind of alluded to, but when we talk about neural network engines, how people use them is so varied um, because it's a programming language and programmers are insane (laughs) the way they implement things. And so you can get just such a large diversity there that you have to deal with. So getting back to... um, do I want to be using Python? No, absolutely not. The fact is, though, um, coming up with interesting new architectures and getting them to actually train is very difficult. Mm. And so when someone is successful at that, you really just want to use their network. You really don't want to change its code at all. It's scary, right? Because like the moment you start changing some numbers, the thing stops working. And so it's not that I want to be in the Python world. It's just that that's the world where it exists. And so if you want to get these things running someplace else, you know what it really is? It's the old science and engineering split. Like scientists are off creating these wonderful things and we have to be engineers of take them, convert them to a form that can actually execute um, or, you know, be useful to people. And that's a hard part, that engineering part. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, good library. Only took them four versions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, maybe in the next four versions, we'll we'll do another one where I understand anything that we talked about today. Oh, come on. You got it. <laughs> YOLO. You only look once. How funny is that? I love it. Uh, well, you know what I do think we do need is probably a presentation on sort of the state and the demo ability. Because I think one thing that would lend pretty decent to this is a is a demo. So uh, I think that if we ever do that, we'll announce it to all the podcast subscribers and then uh, we'll make Frank do the demo. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'll condense six hours of Twitch down to 30 <laughs> minutes somehow. Yeah, I do like that. I mean, so you've messed around with all the tools. Everything is going good so far, 20%, feeling pretty positive about it. Is there something you feel like Apple, we'll kind of wrap it up a little bit, but do you think there's something mm-hmm. Apple is missing from this? Like do something that they could do in Core ML Tools 5 that would revolutionize it? Or is it just like fixing it up to be more reliable at this point as far as like, the conversion stuff goes? Uh, there's definitely a few of those uh, what I keep calling functions, like fancy new functions that Apple has not implemented. And even with the great ability to manipulate at that MIL level, you still can't you know, accomplish it. Uh, so there, there's always those kinds of things. And then 
there's kind of what I was saying before. Neural networks are feed forward. You can't do step one, step two, step three, step four. Like you can't, it's not a procedural programming language. It's a functional programming language. And it would be nice someday to get some uh, proceduralism into our networks. I think that's, I, because in my mind, these things are just programs. They're EXEs and they need to be able to execute in a more, a larger variety of places and from all hosting programming languages. That's why I want to see like C sharp and F sharp can easily access them. Even today running core ML stuff on iOS. I've been doing it for how many years now, James, like three, four, five years, who knows? And I still find it difficult to remember how to use the API. So still a lot of progress we can make as an industry. Yeah, I would really enjoy. I know there are a lot of turnkey solutions like we talked about, but when it comes to custom, I would love to be able to get to the point where I just drag, I just drag a model into like Xcode, and it's like, okay, cool. We're we're, we're so close. Like they have that demo. Like you use CreateML, it works in Xamarin Studio too. You can drag a model in, and it generates a thing. Mm-hmm. But the thing still isn't that easy to use, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, there we go. 40 Thanks. minutes of machine learning. We did it. Isn't this, this is like twice a month or something like that. I'm going to have to do penance and we're going to have to talk about Nintendo for at least another month now. Well, I talk about it every single week. So there's that. No, yeah, we fair. did, we did talk about, <laughs> did talk about GPT three, two, two weeks ago. So there's that. Not too yeah. Bad. Wow. Uh, okay. I've totally, I've totally can take, taken over the show. I feel bad. Well, If you love our machine learning shenanigans on this podcast, you should write in. You should go to mergeconflict.fm. We love fan mail, by the way. We don't get very much of it, but, um, you know, we get a lot of people telling us, like, you know, talking to us on our Discord or on Twitter, but we do like a good fan mail from time to time. You can go to mergeconflict.fm. There's literally a button that says contact. Look, I just pressed it. Just did it, Frank. You can go on there and you can just say something nice, James. Be, be, Be nice. Yeah. Long form long form you're not restricted there's no restrictions yeah can people send images no that that's restricted okay (laughs) uh but 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 long form like if you were going to write us a letter you could do you could do that in here who doesn't like a good letter i love i love a great letter i don't get them ever but you know, you could get one I'm from sorry. us. I'll, I'll send you letters, James. <laughs> Good. You, you I'll could, use the form. <laughs> you could get one from us if you become a patron. We have awesome patrons that are helping um, the podcast be awesome. In fact, I just sent out hundreds of mugs. And by hundreds, I mean 30 or 40 mugs to our, to our subscribers, um, patron. And additionally, um, they help um, not only support the show by, you know, our podcast fees, but additionally, the transcripts we have automated machine learning uh, transcripts that are that occur on this podcast on said podcast. I'm using a new service. I moved away from other ones it's called Descript. It's really cool. It's a whole studio and shenanigans. It's super fast. It's really good. So I hope the new transcripts you are enjoying. Uh, they are spectacular. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes for this this tool, cool tool Descript. DE script. Um, I think my, my coworker, John Galloway. I haven't yeah. seen this. It's good. It's very good. Um, yeah, you'd have to give that a look. Um, so if you're doing a podcast, Which you're episodes looking for that. have you done? Um, so the last two, last three episodes have the new machine learning, um, ones. I used to use a different service, Temi, 
but they went up in price by 4x. So I said, uh, that's okay. And this one is a, a subscription service. So we pay a monthly fee and we get unlimited transcriptions, which I think is a spectacular deal, by the way. Yeah, it must be a machine then, huh? No humans involved. Uh, yeah, these are these are machi- machines, correct? Yeah. Wow. Oh, you get 10, 10 hours of transcripts, which is that's just a lot. I mean, just to be robots are cheap until they unionize. Just watch that's, out. That's true. Yeah, it's really good. Anyways, they even have a free plan, and, and it's a whole studio too, which I think is really cool. And you can try three hours of transcriptions for free. This is not an ad. I just <laughs> have used it. And I thought it was cool. So, uh, and I and I have noticed that the it's way faster. It's just so much faster and just really good. So definitely give it a go. Um, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Um, thanks to our sponsor, not Descript, but to Sync Fusion for making awesome controls that you can pop into your application today. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.